number of years ago, uh, the church that I pastored in Pineview had a, one of the most, in Pineview, at Albany, called Pineview, uh, had a most amazing outreach that we did at the time of Christmas. Uh, we put out a booth at the local Santa Claus parade. That is one of the most highly attended events in all of the Capital District. Uh, it goes all through the streets of Schenectady. It is actually a really, really wild time. And this is what we did. Because we knew it would be cold, we gave away hot chocolate for free. So we put up a booth. We had a table with a big banner on it. We had a custom banner design saying free hot chocolate. And we had... Uh, it wasn't quite as elaborate as Mark and Mary Miller would put together when it comes to a hot chocolate bar, but it's cold, so we had uh, different things that people could put in there. Hot chocolate, we had sprinkles, we had uh, candy canes, we had all sorts of different things that people could put together. And what happened was, as word started to spread, people started to come and get some hot chocolate. Now, you may be asking, well, wait, how did you keep the water hot for the hot chocolate. That may be what you're asking, right? You may say, Brian, right, how did you keep the hot water hot for the hot chocolate? That is a great question, and I'm glad you asked that. Our ingenious idea was to take those coffee urns, you know the ones, the big metal ones that all churches seem to have. It's part of being an incorporated church in North America that you have these big giant tins that you can put uh, coffee in, and we just put water in. We just bought a whole bunch of filtered water and uh, poured them right into the thing, and we were just going to heat them the whole time. But of course, to do that, you need to power them somehow, right? And here's what we did. We got a generator. So we got a generator. We got permission to put it out there. We told them, this is where we're going to be. Our location was perfect. We were right in between a bunch of buildings on all directions. So no wind was coming along. That was freezing cold. And it did have some wind. It was a perfect night. The snow was falling in a way that it wasn't going to build up on the road. But it was that picturesque snowfall. The one that you want to see as a kid at Christmas time. The one that just kind of warms your heart. And it's just big fluffy flakes without it being a lot of accumulation on your vehicle or on the roads. It was an amazing weather day for this parade. We thought this was going to be awesome. We were going to give away the hot chocolate and then give away cards, uh, business cards, with uh, the church's name and address and advertise our Christmas services. It was a great idea for outreach. One small problem, though. We plugged in the first coffee urn. Generator hummed to life. You could hear the water starting to get warm. And, you know, it's cold outside. It's cold water. It's going to take some time for it to heat. We plug in the second coffee urn into our generator. And all of a sudden, our generator just dips in power. And we look at the amperage going out. It's completely fallen off the radar. Like it's just back down to the most minimum that it can be. The generator's running. It's on, but it won't power the electrical sockets that are on it. And we went, what happened? It turns out that the generator we got... We got was insufficient to power both water urns at the same time. An hour to go, and all I could envision was people getting lukewarm chocolate or cold chocolate. Do you know how well chocolate powder mixes in a cup? 
when the water's cold? Well, it doesn't. What you get is a muddy water on the top with a sediment base that looks like all we did was went down to the Hudson River, scooped out something with the sand and the dirt, and just gave it and offered it to people, and that's what they could have. This was going to be a terrible outreach, all because we didn't have enough power. Now, it worked out okay. We ended up asking a couple of local restaurants that were still open on that Saturday night or Friday night or whenever the parade was. I believe it was a Saturday. We asked a couple of local restaurants, hey, could we borrow an outlet? (laughs) Could we borrow some power? And it worked out okay. But man, everything hinged on having enough power to make that event work. And we didn't have enough. And sometimes, for believers... For people who follow God daily, trusted Him with their lives. Sometimes, experiencing God's power is a lot like what we experienced with that generator. It just didn't seem to be enough. As a matter of fact, if you've been a Christian long enough, you will know there are days when you wonder, Jesus, where is your power for my life? Where are the answers to my prayers? Like, other people pray, and things happen. Like, you hear stories of people who pray overseas on the mission field, and they are just, you know, we're praying for good weather, or we're praying against this, we're praying for this, and those things happen. Meanwhile, you pray, and nothing happens. Seems like God doesn't speak at all. He doesn't answer at all. It feels like you don't have enough of God's power in your life. When you needed that miracle to provide, maybe a health issue, maybe an employment issue, maybe a financial issue, you just needed to get through these next few days, weeks, moments, and that power didn't come. Whatever the miracle was that you needed, it didn't show up. So what do you do? What can you do to experience the power of God in your life, the power of Jesus in your life? If you're watching at home, I want you to start thinking about the answer to this problem that I'm about to describe to you. And type your answer in chat. We'd love to hear how you would solve this problem. Uh, let's say that uh, it's time to make stew. It's a, a community event that's coming up and you're, having, you're going out to a, a winter picnic or a winter carnival and you've been asked to bring some stew. So you bring up the crock pot from downstairs and you plug it in, right? And you go to turn it on and you press the button and nothing happens. Press the button again, nothing happens. What do you do to solve that problem of a lack of power in that object? What do you do? How do you solve the problem when there's no power in that object? Type your answer in chat as you you hear that. And for here, what would you do? Your spouse tells you, hey, bring up the old favorite crock pot from the basement. So you do that. You put it on the counter. They go to plug it in and they go to turn it on. And they say, it's not working. It doesn't have any power. What do you do to try and fix it? What do you do to help? What are your suggestions? 
Let's crowdsource this problem together. And type your answer uh, in chat at home. We'd love to hear how you would fix how this appliance doesn't have power. What would you do? See if it's the outlet's fault, right? Okay, let's make sure that that particular outlet has power. What else would you do? You would do, I'm sorry? You, you just forget the crock pot altogether and you'd say, I'm not fixing this appliance, I've got other things to do. I didn't anticipate that answer, but that's, that's really funny. <laughs> um, what, what else would you do to fix the appliance, though? What would you do? Take it and plug it into another outlet, right? It's interesting. There's a funny thing about power. When we flick the light switch and the light doesn't come on, we don't automatically assume, well, the power's out. What do we assume? There's something wrong with the bulb. When you plug in a phone charger and your phone doesn't start charging, you don't get that familiar ding, or you don't see the little, you know, lightning bolts show up on the, the battery indicator. You don't automatically assume that, well, the power's out in this, in this home where I'm plugging it in. There's something wrong with this, so... You don't assume that. You don't assume that there's something wrong with the power that's coming to the unit. You assume it's something else. What you guys have described and what you may have typed online is that you're assuming that electricity isn't connecting into that particular outlet or that particular device. When it comes to phones, maybe you say, gosh, the cable's not working, the, the brick's not working. You maybe go and change those kinds of things. The way that you solve the problem is you check for a loose connection. You jiggle it, you know, maybe switch outlets, you take it to another outlet, but you want to see if there's a disconnect. What you don't assume is that power's out in the neighborhood, right? That one light bulb doesn't work, you don't assume, well, power's out in the whole house. Nobody has, must, nobody has any power for miles. It must just not be working. It's, I don't know what's happening. No, you assume that there's something faulty in the connection too. Maybe it's a new charging cable that you need, or a new extension cord, or a power brick, or a new uh, contact. Maybe it's a, the terminals. If it's a car battery, if you're not getting power from that, maybe the terminals are dirty and they just need to be cleaned, get some of that rust and salt off, and then hook them back up together so that you can get power again. And what's true for our stuff is true for our spirituality. When we don't experience or we want to experience more about the power of Jesus in our lives, we need to check the connections. And let me show you how we can do that this morning. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Mark chapter 6. We've been talking about the power of God in Jesus, why we can trust his power. And here's what we read in Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there, so he had done this miraculous healing in the life of the little girl, raised her from the dead. He had had power go out of him and heal a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, a chronic illness. She had received the help that she wanted. And Jesus left those places of ministry and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him 
were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's this wisdom that, he, that has been given him? Aren't, what are these remarkable miracles that he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. In a culture that celebrates hospitality, Middle, East, or Middle Eastern, Near Eastern hospitality, this is as rude as you can possibly be. This is ruder than rude. This is a rude homecoming for Jesus. He walks into a place of teaching, and he's not welcomed. He's ridiculed. I get it. You know, if you've ever had a fear of going to a high school reunion, you sense what is happening kind of here because in a high school reunion the reason why you go is that you want to be able to share that well these are my successes these are the things that have happened in my life as you catch up with your friends you want to hear those those successes you don't want to show up and you know that you've never held a job in your life you you're, you're still looking for handouts and you've never grown as a person from when you were in high school nobody wants that that's the fear of 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 every person who gets invited to a high school reunion no you want to go and say here's the things that are happening in my life here's the things that god's been doing in my life and jesus does that he goes home and we wonder how people will accept him. And does Jesus have a resume of success that when he goes home to this reunion, people should welcome him? Absolutely he does. He has incredible success. He's performed miracles. He's teaching so many people about how to reconnect with God of the new thing that God is doing. Jesus has explained his mysteries the mysteries of the Bible with power. And he's performed miracles with power. And yet, what they say to him is essentially this, who do you think you are? Where does he get these things? Where does he learn them? They aren't being kind. As a matter of fact, they're saying to themselves, what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is teaching is impossible for him to be doing. It's impossible for him to be teaching. Why? Because of his background. Because of his trade. What was he before he became a traveling minister? He was a carpenter. They couldn't imagine a carpenter being able to teach like he does, being able to perform the miracles like he does. He's just a carpenter, in other words. And then they question his family. And I want you to note this really, really well because of what they say. First of all, they question his lineage and they question his parentage. Notice they call him Mary's son. Who's missing? Joseph. So what are they saying? What are they implying? We talk about this every Christmas. Just the reality of the faith that Mary had when she said to the angel Gabriel, this is the word of the Lord, let it be as you have declared that this would happen. And what did the angel Gabriel say? That the Holy Spirit would overshadow her 
and that she would become with child, she would uh, bear a son, and he would be called Jesus because he would be the savior of the world. And what was Mary's response? How is this going to happen because I am a virgin? I want you to imagine Mary going back to the hometown where she's from and saying to people around her that story. That as she starts to show, as her pregnancy starts to show in her body, that other people start to go, wait a second, you're not married yet. You don't have a husband. What have you been doing? You're you're clearly in sin. And her response is, no, God did this to me. How would they respond? Not with trust. (laughs) With absolute disbelief. With absolute disbelief. So they're saying that, who is this kid? Isn't this the bastard kid of Mary? He can't be used by God this way. This is impossible. And as a matter of fact, we know his brothers and sisters. And you know what they say about brothers and sisters. You, like, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. No, we know what they're like, so we know what Jesus is like. The actions of the siblings reflected on him. And this is the old saying. This is the old saying, familiarity breeds contempt, but it's on steroids. Ben Witherington is one of my favorite uh, New, New Testament scholars, and he wrote this about this passage. He said that the way they're treating Jesus, this comes from the ancient mentality that geographical and hereditary, hereditary, let me try that again, this comes from the ancient mentality that geographical and hereditary origins determine who a person is and what their capabilities will always be. So in Jesus, they see someone who is not merely exceeding expectations, but rather is overreaching for his station in life. And the issue that they have with Jesus is with his character. What they are doing is saying, who are you to teach us? We know what you're trained to do. You're only a carpenter. We know who your family is. We know what kind of lives they've lived, which is small town talk for we know how bad they are. We know how they've sinned. Everyone knows this. Everyone knows what they're like. And so they're scandalized that Jesus would walk in to the synagogue and start to teach and say, who's this guy? Where is he getting off telling us these things? Who do you think you are? You don't have the right to lecture us, boy. We know you. We know your upbringing. We know your family. We know exactly who you are. Up there, that's show. But we know who you are. And what does Jesus do? (laughs) What does Jesus do? the Son of God, with all this unlimited wisdom, all this unlimited power, do in this situation? What would you do? He says this. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack 
of faith. So what does Jesus do? How does Jesus respond? What do you see in the text? He does nothing. There's nothing that he can do. In other words, there's a loose connection with the people wanting to experience God's truth and God's power, God's miracle in their lives, but there's a loose connection somehow, and Jesus says it's because of their lack of faith. And he explains how their lack of faith work. We actually see this in uh, a lot of areas of life. It's not just in spirituality. It's simply that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. You know, I mentioned earlier the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. And let me explain to you what that saying actually means. That's when closeness to someone or something creates preconceptions about someone or something. Closeness creates preconceptions. Closeness creates misconceptions. It's peculiar that we often tend to listen more to acquaintances than we listen to those who know us most intimately. Our closest relatives, our dearest friends. Husbands might not take the advice of their wives, but will pay close attention to what a work acquaintance tells them they should do. Wives may not listen to their husbands, but will act on the words of people in a discussion group. And here's the thing that Jesus is getting at. When we think we've got things figured out, we limit what things can do. When we think we've got things figured out, we limit what things can do. I'll give you an example. It's not even a religious example. And it has everything to do with this. Phone, picture of my old dog. That's just random, but it's when you go and buy a new phone. I have heard many stories of people who, when they're buying a phone, they genuinely don't want to pay too much, right? Nobody wants to pay too much for a phone. And so the way that they solve this problem about, I don't need all of the newfangled things that the phone is telling me it can do, they walk in and they go to the store or they go online and they say, look, all I need is a phone that makes phone calls and lets me send a few texts. I don't need all the extra bells and whistles. I want to control what I get because I don't want to pay too much. Our phone is a second-generation iPhone, so it's not the most current one. It's the one before that. And I'm still learning about what this phone can do. I'm still, hey, I can do that. I can have it turn on the lights when I drive in and it detects my phone, and all of a sudden, all the lights turn on. I don't have to worry about coming home in the dark, which is a problem from November to May here in Rochester. Like it gets dark, also. so to have that and have that ability where you just drive in, and I'm learning more and more all the time about what my phone can do. I decide, you know what? I want to take some photos. And then all of a sudden, it's a better photo than I can get with, you know, uh, $1,000, $2,000 camera. We actually use an iPhone for one of our streaming cameras here at the church. Because that's how much it can do. And we're constantly learning more and more just about this phone. Because we didn't walk in and say, I only need something that does this. And what Jesus is describing for us with that statement, a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, is that we think that we know the people 
who we grew up with. We think we know things. We think we know people. So we say, when Jesus is saying that we think we've got things figured out, that we're limiting what things can actually then do for us, and we do that with people, that means that we limit what people can do for us. And when we say about Jesus, we've got you figured out, then we limit what Jesus can do for us. We do the same with him in the same way that we want to control how much what we get costs us. We don't just do it with things. We do it with people, and we do it with him. When we think we've got Jesus figured out, we limit what Jesus can do. It's the opposite of faith. It's actually a control mechanism so that faith shifts in its definition of what it's trying to accomplish. So, let me describe what that means as we kind of wrap up why Jesus is amazed. It's a, it's a negative text, but it's going to springboard us into the next part of the Gospel of Mark, which I'm really, really excited for, and I'll tell you about in a little bit. Imagine telling Jesus this is what you can and cannot do. But that's what we do. And so over the last three weeks, we've talked about, and Mark has tried to convince us, the scriptures have tried to convince us that Jesus is God. He has unlimited power. He has control and authority over the natural world and the supernatural world just with the power of his words alone. He speaks, and they listen, and they obey. And we learned last week that God doesn't keep that power to himself. Jesus doesn't keep that power to himself. That he wants to share it with us. That he's approachable. That he's available. But there has to be a tight connection of something. Something that gets the power going from the outlet to the crockpot of our lives. And that is faith. And what happens is, when we change the nature of what faith wants to do, by thinking that, Jesus, this is the only places where you are allowed to be God in my life, you have changed the nature of faith to being about comfort. Where God defines the nature of faith as change. The nature of faith is not about being comfortable. The nature of faith is about being changed. And so faith in God says, I know what I want. I think this is the, the things in the apps that I need in my life, right? These are the things that I need on the phone of my life. But I'm going to trust you that you know what's best for me. Faith in God lets him have authority, him have control, both in what he wants to do and what he wants to say. And faith wants power in our lives. That's what faith allows us to experience, not just in the miraculous, but in his wisdom influencing us, changing us, shaping us to be the best version of us that we can possibly be. 
What if we've decided that God has to work in certain ways or can only provide certain things? And we've got a loose connection in our faith in God. And so the simple question that I would ask you this morning as we kind of wrap up is this. It's the same question that we asked two weeks ago. Jesus is God. Is he God to you? Jesus is God. Is he God to you? Are you letting him have control? Or are you trying to control him and say, I know what you are like. And I know how you are going to act in each and every situation. See, the truth, the thing that's true about power is true in every area of life. It's true for our stuff, and it's true for our spirituality. When there's a disconnect in receiving and experiencing the power of Jesus in our lives, we need to check the connections. It's not that the power's off. It's that maybe, just maybe, we're not connected. There's a loose connection somewhere that's short-circuiting experiencing that power. In other words, the problem is probably not God. The problem is probably not that, well, God, you've clearly changed. And it's in those moments that we have to realize, what if it's something that's within our realm to control? What if it's something that it's within the way that we're thinking about God and thinking about Jesus? What if the problem is our connection? What if our faith has become so familiar that we've said, this is the only way you can work, God? This is what I want in life, and I'm going to get that in life, and you can't tell me that I should do otherwise. What if our faith has become a faith of familiarity? And if you would like to experience more of the power of Jesus in life, my recommendation to you from Scripture is that we check the connections, that we check our faith, and that we have the kind of faith that honors Jesus for who He is, that honors Jesus as God. Because that's what faith does, is it says, I know that you have the power to save me, but I also know that you have the power to change me, and I want change more than I want comfort. I want to be Christ-like more than I want to be comfortable. So Lord, help my faith to pursue more than just comfort. I want Christ. I want to be changed to be more like him. I don't want a familiar faith where you're only doing the same thing over and over and over again. I want to change. I want to grow. That is the basis of my faith. That's the nature of my faith. And that is a secure connection of faith. So that you and I gain more and more opportunities to experience the power of Jesus in our daily lives. Some questions for you as we close. You might find these coming up in your growth group this week, uh, but they are some great discussion questions for as you leave here today or as we wrap up today to talk about over uh, lunch uh, with your family about how we can have this kind of faith and check the connections uh, that we have so that it's not a faith of comfort, but a faith based on change. Here they are. Question one. 
In what ways do you see Christians focus their faith on being comfortable rather than focus their faith on being changed? In what ways do you see other Christians focus their faith on being comfortable rather than focus their faith on being changed? And here's question two. How can you check your connection, quote unquote, to ensure your faith is honoring Jesus as God in your life? Faith that honors Jesus as God is the best connection we have to the power of God in our daily lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this excellent reminder of how we can easily make your power about our comfort rather than about our change. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each and every one of us to check the connections. It is such an easy shift, a subtle shift to constantly be asking you for the things that would make us comfortable. And they're not wrong things to ask. But if that is the basis of our faith, then that is a loose connection that eventually doesn't provide power. Because your power is ultimately to be used for our benefit to change. Not just be comfortable, but to be changed. To be more like Jesus as we follow him. So Lord, would you help us, would you teach us how to honor Jesus, you, as God, very God, in both word and deed, as you lead us. We pray this in Jesus' name.